All right, welcome in for a special Monday edition of the Fez Focus Pod. You may be saying, wait a minute, this comes out on Wednesday. What's going on here? Well, listen, it's a special day. We came off a special, special weekend of football. And Fezzik said, you know what, AJ? I want to get this out immediately. I want to talk to the people immediately about what we saw this weekend. So who am I to argue? Here we are on a Monday in the pregame studios. I'm AJ Hoffman. He is the only two-time Super Contest champion, Mr. Steve Fezzik. Steve, how are you, bud? I am excellent. What an epic weekend of NFL football. The NFL is king, you know? This is everything that last weekend wasn't. Like, last weekend it was like, oh, the Steelers didn't belong in the playoffs. The Eagles didn't belong in the playoffs. The Cardinals, they were a joke. The Patriots j- just looked like they didn't even, they shouldn't have had helmets. This week, ooh. Four games decided on the final play. And I might make the case that three of the four games, the wrong team won. If you just looked at the flow of the game and what should have happened. Let me let me try and think of the one that you think the, the right team. Uh, You'll get it. The, uh, dun, dun. Um, I guess the the one team that it felt like the the team that was supposed to win one was the Rams. That's correct. Yeah, okay. the Rams were minus two in turnovers, and we didn't even start with the Rams because it's the least climactic of all the games. I thought I'd, I'd give it you was my... nice. It was nice the Bucks made a game of it. I mean, it looked like it wasn't going to be a game. Acres made a game of it with his two fumbles and you know, yeah, the, and, and, and a, a missed field goal, which rarely happens for that team. Snap of the ball that zings by Stafford's ear, reminiscent of the Peyton Manning Seattle Super Bowl. It did feel like there was some weird voodoo magic curse going on that was happening and like had they completed that meltdown it would have been epic one for the ages but yeah it did feel like the rams were just they they were a better team and i I think most people believed and i was certainly on board with this the rams have a better football team than the bucks but the bucks have tom brady so you have to how much is that worth and the way Matt Stafford played, I think you you have to say that this wasn't like a Matt Stafford stumbled into a playoff win. Matt Stafford played very well. In Great game. game plan. Came out zinging the ball. I lost. Uh, that was the one prop bet I lost on set on Sunday that I gave out to my clients. I had Stafford under two eighty. Never had a chance. Looked like he, he should have landed around three hundred, but that was because they had the lead. Um, but play from the very first drive. The um, pass was the vehicle the Rams were going to go with, and they were effective. I upgraded the Rams by half a point. I downgraded Tampa by one. I thought it was a poor performance all the way around by Tampa. It was a miracle that they got the game back to a tie, which showed the Ram jitters in the end game. I thought. Um, but ultimately, the right team won, and so those were my adjustments to my power ratings. Well, let's look at the other games in which you say the right team didn't win. Uh, and let, we'll start, I guess, at the first game of the week, which was the the Tennessee Titans and the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, so I thought Tennessee completely outplayed the Bengals. I didn't think Derrick Henry was a hunt, close to 100%. You, he looked a step slow. But um, the Bengals could not block the Titans all game long. Burrow obviously sacked nine times. And given that was the case and that the Titans still had success with the ground game, it should have been a workmanlike seven-point win for the Titans. And 
funny stuff happens sometimes. And minus three turnovers, three interceptions by Tannehill ultimately did them in. The media drives me crazy. The media is like throwing Vrabel under the bus because he goes for the two-point conversion from the one-yard line. Um, that's that's obviously the right call. Maybe you can argue about what the play call should be when it was 6-6. That's not why they lost the game, but that was the right thing to do early in the game. If it was late in the third quarter, get up by one. But early in the game, you, you're on the one. You penalize your opponent for the penalty. Um, but Tannehill really played a very poor game. That was the difference. I, I, I downgraded Tennessee by a half because of Tannehill not being as good as we thought he, he was, but I did not upgrade Cincinnati. The it's funny because that game is a reminder to me of when when I think especially when you get to the playoffs when you're looking for teams that can win a Super Bowl there's three things I think that are very important one is quarterback obviously one is head coach and one is defense and in that game it showed you that quarterback is so much more important than head coach or defense because. There's no one who doesn't think that the Titans are better on defense mm-hmm. and the Titans have a better head coach. Top 10 head coach versus a bottom 10 head coach. I don't care about, you know. But that's a bottom, that's a bottom five coach. head coach. Yes. Yeah. The difference in quarterback was the difference in the game. The the Bengals, and I said this last week, and I, I you know, I, I kind of switched my opinion on how that game was going to go, and I, I have bet regret on it. Like, I should have just stuck to my initial thought that, you know, just Joe Burrow is not a flash in the pan. Like, this guy, is he's a dude. And I, I, Ryan Tannehill is certainly not. And I still, if you went back in the time machine and they replayed, I would not bet the Bengals in this game. I wouldn't bet the Titans. I'd say... I think that's what I would do. I would just I'd be like, it. yeah. And, uh, but you, Joe Burrow, what he did and what, he, what Joe Burrow did last week, like, he, he's carrying a team that really has no business being as far as they are. They, there's... What else can you say about that team? You go, you know what? That's they're, they're really good at this. No, they got a really good rookie wide receiver. Yeah, and they have very capable running back. They ha- they have, and they, they've they've basically gone away from Joe Mixon as far as game plan goes. I like Joe Mixon, but they just they're not using them the way they were early in the season. The Bengals are the perfect example of where you can go in two years. If you hit on your draft picks, you know, the NFL is almost like college basketball in this sense. If you can get one lottery pick, you're suddenly not just a tournament team, but you can make some noise, right? If you, if so, here's the way it works in college basketball if you get one five star guy, your team is going to like compete in your conference. You've got a chance to win your conference. If you get two of those guys, you're suddenly like a national championship contender. Yeah, if you get Curry playing, you know, for anybody, yeah, right? And uh, he gets it, hot, and, and he's got some capable, you know, um, other players, suddenly no one wants to play Davidson, right? So when you take a team that was, I mean, obviously bad enough to have the number one pick in the draft, and you give them Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, and there's a lot of people, and it, it's funny, as good as Jamar Chase is, there, there were people at the time who were like, why'd they draft this wide receiver? They needed offensive should line help. Should have taken help. Sewell. Yeah. And Maybe could, they should You can still make that argument as Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times, but you can also look at it and say, man, Jamar Chase, what, that gives him such a, such a dynamic weapon. He's got such good chemistry with Joe Burrow. Maybe it is the right move. But those two picks, and suddenly everything's turned around for that franchise. And The again, irony 
is that the coach of the year has already been voted on, right? Yes. And so Vrabel's probably going to win <laughs> over Taylor. Which he should. Uh, which he should, but not if they voted today that he wouldn't. Uh, yeah, but I don't think that Zach Taylor outcoached Mike Vrabel. No, he didn't. I, I mean, I think Joe Burrow outplayed Ryan Tannehill, which now, is the least surprising poor, thing ever. There was some poor coaching. We'll talk about that. To, to, to come. But yes, yeah, so bottom line on this game, I did not upgrade the Bengals at all, despite winning as a four-point underdog. I think the ball just bounced well. It was fortuitous. Let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. This felt like a game where I, I don't I don't know. I, I here's where I am on the 49ers. I don't think I, I don't think they're they're very good because they don't have a quarterback. I love everything else about that team. Like I, I want to think the 49ers are good. Jimmy Garoppolo is just not good. He's not a good quarterback. He's an average quarterback. At best. Com- that's compromised with injuries, so now he's a below-average yes. quarterback. So absolutely. So I didn't upgrade San Fran at all, although I respect what they did in the trenches. And the bottom line is, if you watch the game, there was about three Jimmy G ducks that could have easily yep. been pick sixes, and they just didn't get picked off. All right, I'm not saying any one of them should have been, but collectively, you watch enough football, no zip on the ball in cold weather, throws into um, a short. We're talking short three yard passes that are like one on one balls where yeah. the wide receiver has the edge, sure, but not enough of an edge to ever throw it. So. Uh, Green Bay, their special teams obviously completely let them down. I downgraded Green Bay a half point just because the special teams were so poor. But this was not a game that San Francisco won. This was a game that the Packers lost. And as far as I talk about Plinko and random results, with six minutes to go, Green Bay was a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. They were 75% to cover the minus six and a half. So if you're a 75% to cover a game with five minutes to play— You should have won. You should have won. How much of this game, this loss, in your mind, falls on Aaron Rodgers? Because everybody talked about how much pressure was on him, how much how much blame he would get if things didn't go right. And let's face it, that, that's not the 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 score in that game wasn't what you would have expected for an Aaron Rodgers playoff game. And it sure seemed a little panic set, and even when the game was tied, he throws that bomb into double coverage when he's got a, you know other options to go to. So, yeah, um, Rodgers just doesn't seem to – he doesn't empower, he doesn't motivate you the, the the right way, in my opinion. And bottom line is he's going to finish his career with one Super Bowl. The, the the door just slammed shut on him, and that's just not good enough given the, 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 the talent that he has. Do you think the door slammed shut on him – for good, or uh, oh, I mean, because yeah. we don't know where he will be next year if he gets with a, another. Like, do you do you think Aaron? Did you downgrade Aaron Rodgers after this game? No, but he he doesn't fall into the Brady. I'll be fine till forty five bucket. So now that he's thirty nine, um, I just have to look at at Brett Favre and all the other guys that came up on forty. Ken Stabler, all right, he was like. 40 at 30. Bad example. But, I mean, the bottom line, no one plays effective quarterback at age 40. So he's got one – he's really got one year left. All right. Let's get into the last game, which was one of the most incredible finishes in in playoff memory for me anyway, uh, if not one of the best games. And I think – I'll, I'll, RJ likes me to give hot, he wants me to give hot takes on the radio show. Here's my hot take. Those two quarterbacks are the best quarterbacks in the league. 
and it's not really close between those two in third place. No offense to Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or any of those guys. What those two guys can do, no one else in the league can do. They are Those are the two most special, unique quarterbacks, and I think they are going to run this league. And it's, it's almost crazy that if Patrick Mahomes didn't exist, we might be talking about Josh Allen going to two straight Super Bowls. But because they exist at the same time, there's always going to be like this. And I hope that this rivalry, if you will, between two teams who don't play in the same division, but I hope that it's like Brady and Manning every year. They're running into each other in the playoffs. I think there's real potential for that to be the case. No, no doubt. And the fact that both of them ran for 70 yards on top of just phenomenal passing performances, it was one for the ages. The um, The... Only problem I had with it, this was just a tremendous, tremendous theater to watch the whole thing and to enjoy. I will say the end game, and I tweeted about this. I I knew you'd be upset about that. So Buffalo wins. The game's over. There's 13 seconds left, and people like, like, like I got into it with, um, with I think Dave Koken, who I very much respect, old Stardust Line guy that um, I used to listen to, and Dave's fantastic handicapper, but he's completely wrong here. He says, you know, I well, you know, with Patrick Mahomes out there. You know that you got to tip your cap to him. You know the you're, you're, no lead is ever safe. Something along those lines. You know that, and he's right. He's absolutely right about Mahomes, but he's wrong about the situation. Let me give an analogy, and here's what I tweeted: You're playing a game of chess. You're in the end game. Okay. You're up a rook. All right. That's what Buffalo was. They're up a rook. Now it does not matter whether I'm playing McKenzie, whether I'm playing National Master Ben Feingold. Might be a GM. I'm not sure. Ben Feingold. doesn't matter if I'm playing Magnus Carlsen, the fucking world champion. I'm going to kill him. I'm up a rook. The game is over. It's as simple as tic-tac-toe, and I get to go twice before the game starts. I win. All right? Doesn't matter what Patrick Mahomes does. Doesn't matter what anyone does. You know why? Because I'm going to kick off to the 5-8 to eight yard line. And the kick returner, yeah, he could let it bounce and try to go in the end zone. He'll never do that because if it bounces and doesn't go in the end zone, media will destroy him and he'll, he'll, he'll field it. He'll get snowed under on the 18 and there'll be nine seconds left in the game and the game is over. There is no scenario that you lose at that point other than um, a Hail Mary completion and a penalty on top of it. I mean, it, it just cannot happen. The game's over. Think about it. You bet, if you bet um, Kansas City on the money line, you're like, please, God, kick it into the end zone. It's the only way I yeah. can win, along with if Ricky Prohl returns the kickback for a touchdown. I don't know why I mentioned Ricky Prohl. He's been retired <laughs> for five years. I remember him returning. It's longer games. than five years. At least but... I didn't say Tommy Casanova back okay. in the 70s for the Bengals or something. All right, so the, the bottom line is that the game's over if you don't um, go ahead and uh, kick it in the end zone. The irony of this is that you know, in the Music City Miracle, they got it wrong also where they kicked it off too short. I'm not saying they should have lost on the lateral. You don't kick it off to the tw- to the 25 and let them do the fair catch, and no time runs off then. No, you kick off to the 5 to 10, and the game's over. Doesn't matter. The game's still over. You kick off in the end zone. You're fine. So you're up a rook, and you let a guy get a pass pawn, all right, and it's a little dangerous. It doesn't matter. You're up a rook, all right? Just don't let that pawn queen. You're going to be fine. So then... <laughs> On the very first play, there's 13 seconds left. We've spoken about this all the time. You just mug all the receivers on the line of scrimmage. You grab some jersey. If there's any chance the guy's going to get past you, you just tackle him. Flags fly everywhere. Mahomes run around. There's no one to throw to. Tick, tick, 
tick. Defensive holding, maybe even an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, but there shouldn't be. It should just be defensive holding. If you practice this play, five yards go off, now you're on their 30, and you got six seconds left, and the game's over again. Teams, And that's the what I call the true prevent defense. Just call it tackle. The play is tackle, and, the play, and you mug the receivers. Now there's a rule in the NFL if you intentionally have a penalty on back-to-back plays. My understanding is that the second play, there's the option you get flagged for 15, and no time goes off the clock for that play. Mm-hmm. But that's only for repeat offenders that do it twice. Okay. All right? And again, you don't have to do it. You, I would certainly do it for the next two plays, and then you've got to survive the 65-yard laterals. But the bottom line is everyone knows this. Everyone I know knows this. Nope. Just let the receivers run off the line of scrimmage, get a break. And, of course, you know, kudos to Kansas City, the two absolutely right pass calls, try to complete 20-yard pass patterns and back-to-back plays. They have the timeouts. They get it done. But the defense should never allow that. So in order for this to succeed, you know, think about it. once the first pass gets completed, now there's seven seconds left. Now, again, you win. All you got to do is tackle Kelsey and everyone else on the line of scrimmage. They get five yards, and then you can chuck up your 55-yard, 60-yard Hail Mary. Right. Good luck with that. And for the life of me, why teams don't practice that are aware of that. Harbaugh is aware of this. He's done it. And but most teams simply aren't. They they know why because they watch one game a week, and I watch every game. And they and the games they watch, they watch game film, trying to script how to stop people. They never think about the end games nearly enough. So in your scenario where you kick to the the five yard line, ten yard line area, are you talking about kicking the ball in the air there? Yes. Is that not scary after what Tyreek Hill had done to the Bills that whole game? Like, is it? Do do you think they thought? Okay, well, here's our option. We cannot let Tyreek Hill touch the ball here, or we can let Tyreek Hill touch the ball here. Sure, uh, sure. and so I maybe. get that there's a there's a, a certainly a trade off between the seconds ticking off the clock and the danger of Tyreek Hill, who had already torched them a couple times in this game. Well, he was Tyreek Hill was returning punts, so he, it, it was I think Pringle was returning the kicks. So. I think they were both out there. Oh, for were that. they? So you kick obviously you try to kick to. Away from Tyree, right? But it, but the, the kickoff returns for touchdowns are so uncommon. And remember, even if Tyree hits a big return and he gets it to midfield, that's still going to take seven seconds off the yep. clock. And now you're going to be you're down to one real big play. Well, it, it depends whether eight seconds come off or seven. But so they, they did have to, had all their timeouts. It was it, but it was a other, tough situation. The, like, the point is, you don't again. The second they kick, they kick it in the end zone. The chance that Kansas City wins the game more than doubles, more than doubles, as opposed to Tyreek Hill fields the fields the kickoff on the seven because it's just so rare. How many, Mackenzie? Can you look up how many um, kick returns for touchdowns does Tyreek Hill have in his entire career? My guess is zero. Let me look it up. I would guess one. So here is the other big question that can, and I've all I. I've complained about this for a long time. You're a problem solver, so I'm going to see what the what the solution is to this problem. Mm-hmm. NFL overtime doesn't allow for both quarterbacks to touch the ball. And when quarterback is so far and away the most important position in football and every team has to build their I have, your, I have the solution. Around a quarterback, how do you fix it? There it is. Tyreek Hill, one kick return touchdown, four punt return touchdowns. In oh, four career. punt returns. Okay. Um, so, obviously, he's, he's had one. It is a danger. You know what? It's a lot easier to return a kick for a touchdown when it's a kickoff into the end zone than because there's more space in the field than if you kick to the 10. You know, so not to mention you tell all your guys, look at if, um, if this is a big return, 
bring them down by the face mask if you have to. Do whatever you can, you yeah. know, to to and you can and and again you can tell all your players, you know, you can blatantly um, uh, commit penalties. You can have your 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 guys run out of bounds. I mean, the the bottom line, the penalty doesn't matter at that point. All you got to do is prevent the touchdown. So. Um, I still I still go back to everyone I know that 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 bets knows you kick it in, you don't kick it in the end zone, um, but that is interesting that that he has had five. Um, so what's the solution? Solution you, you coin flip. You keep the current rules in place. Current rules are great. Okay, the, but, but coin flip. I win the to- I, I lose the toss. Okay. Okay. You win the toss. Okay? I win so the toss. You win the toss. So you the, the referee comes to me and he's going to say pick the yard line. A team's going to start on. I have to pick the yard line. I'm going to pick the 12. Now it comes to you. You get to decide. You want the ball or you want to play defense. That's the solution. Interesting. So it, like, I'm, you're talking about putting me, pinning me at my own 12? You get to decide. You can pin me. I, I, I have to pick a yard line. So let's say I pick the 10. You can take the ball or you can play defense. In this game, I would probably pick the 8. 8-yard line, you want the ball? I might have picked the 7. Seven yard line. You want the ball, or you want uh, you want to play defense. That's interesting. Yeah. If I go to the five, if I go all the way to the five, you're probably going to play defense. If I go to the ten, you're going to play offense. So maybe I pick the six, something like that, right? I'll tell you what. In that game, I think if you'd said the two, oh, I would I, I would have picked <laughs> offense. That's why I went to the five. But on the, on the two, I'll I'll certainly play defense. In that particular game, in in a lot of games, I think that you you've got some wiggle room with that. The live betting line. Clearly, if it was the one, you'd play defense. Clearly. There's I don't know. A... I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Really? I mean, Josh Allen really? was pinned back to the one, and it took him one play to get out to the 15. I mean, right. it, 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 these, those two but, guys. But you can see how in any normal game that there is there, I agree, any normal game. The the fact that the live line after the, after the coin flip went to minus 190, it just there's so much riding on literally the that's flip of a coin. That's because you get to coin. start on the fucking twenty five after they kick <laughs> off, not the two. You yeah, know, so that's the problem. The problem is you get to start. The problem is not the team gets the ball. The problem is the team gets the ball in a favorable situation. I wonder. That's all they have to fix. They don't have to like change all the rules. I just explained. And what could be fairer? If you win the coin toss, you are guaranteed. If you want the ball, you're going to get the ball. But you may have to start on your own seven. Yeah, that that's certainly an interesting thought. I've considered, I, like I, I hate the the changes that college football made this year. They're all awful. To changing it to where you're like now you're going two point conversion for two point conversion, and not only that, switching sides of the field, which is the dumbest how, thing ever. How hard is it in college? If anyone in college football is listening, how hard is it? This is what the rule should be. All right, if you are the second team to get the ball and you score a touchdown, you must go for two. You I must I, go for yeah. two. It's that easy. You must go for two after um, if you if you get the ball second. That that way we won't have all these seven. I, that's not a bad. That's not a bad call. Uh, I thought maybe there's a and I don't know if it's five minutes, if it's seven minutes, what the answer is, but maybe you say there's a seven minute overtime period. We play until zeros, and if one team can control the clock for seven full minutes, God bless them. They deserve to win, but. Also, in seven minutes, the likelihood is you're going to get both teams having the ball. And in that overtime situation, when that clock is ticking, you, you're going to get more in-game drama of guys trying to get the ball down the field. I, so maybe playing to a clock in overtime is is really the answer. And if sometime in that seven minutes, 
a team gets up two scores, all of this game's still, over. All this still has the same problem. Whoever gets the ball first has an advantage. I fixed that problem. You have no advantage. I, I am a zero-sum game guy. Winning the coin coin toss does you no good. It's going to be, if, if, if both teams play optimally, it's going to be 50-50. Who's going to win? Where would you have taken the, like, if you were if you were the Chiefs there and the Bills had said four-yard line, what are you doing? It's a tough call. The four is probably about right. Okay. Given the, given the game script You'd take and the, the ball. circumstances, I'm not sure. I, I, I'd play defense from the two and I'd take the but, ball on the six. See, it's funny because I think with guy like, you, you also have to think of it this way. You have built your team around Patrick Mahomes, not your defense. In the most important moment of your season, do you want to put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands? Or or the or the guy that the Bills have built their entire team around. I, I understand that, but it's it's almost like if 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 they're if they've got two guys on the line of scrimmage, I got to run the ball also. Yeah, you know. So and I get there. There's the side of people who who like the overtime rule and say, yeah, if you don't like it, play defense, stop them. It's it's an, it, it's just not fair. It's not fair because if you win the coin toss, you become a, this game was a virtual pick'em, and like you said. Live wagering said Kansas City was going to win 65% of the time. That's not fair. you got to yeah. fix that. And I think well, it goes back to what we said about the Bengals game. You can say quarterback, coach, defense, and those things all matter, but quarterback matters yay much, and coach and defense matter this much. Like, but, it, but, the, but the bottom line is in, in that final drive, what do you think Kansas City is going to do? They're going to try to complete two 20-yard passes. Of course. Stop it. Yep. You know? Find but, a way to stop it. And you know what? If but that's also easier said than done after 60 minutes of a game like that. Pretty freaking easy the way I described it. Like, I, <laughs> a, a college team could stop them by by just tackling all the receivers. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm confident. It is smart, that is smart game I'm, strategy. I'm confident an average college football team would have, would have won the game at that point in time. You employing the strategy that I put out. All right, let's do a fez tale on Super Bowl betting. Wow, I was thinking back to the Super Bowl. So I did the Super Bowl betting all wrong in the late 90s. My take was I still had a full-time job. I was coming to Vegas, but after winning lots of money, I'd be like, all right, I'll run around, I'll make my bets, I'm done with it. And like I remember one Super Bowl, 1998, it's Green Bay, Denver, and I played golf. Got done playing golf. as eh, like the midway through the first quarter, and then I watched the game. What? I'm like looking back. How could I be such a square? There's so many great bets to be made in a Super Bowl last minute when the public is is moving the numbers so much. There's scalps left and right between different shops. Uh, the live wagering is so powerful with the current world that I got to tell you, the number one tell for me when I see a guy that's like not serious about winning money is he's like, oh, I'm going to a Super Bowl party all day. I'm going to Larry's, and we're going to watch the game. You're no good. It's like <laughs> per, per, the amount you should make per hour in a Super Bowl is tremendous. You should be finding, and McKenzie has grasped this very well. I know that um, at least pre-flop, um, out and about and pounding in all kinds of advantage plays. Now, I don't know if, if, if he actually is doing this during the game itself. Let me ask you, McKenzie, have you metamorphosed to where you're working during the game as well? Metamorphosizing. As I'm getting more into the in-game. Definitely this Super Bowl. Can't wait. And, and, you know, a big part of it, you should have such an important portfolio. This is such an important – you can't possibly have fun, you know, drinking beers and hanging out. People are like, how are you doing the Super Bowl? I, I was like, I have no idea. I mean, I'm looking at all my sheets and all the, my bets and what's going on, and it's not unusual that I want to be able to protect it with another plus EV wager potentially in, in circumstances and situations. So 
I would recommend that Super Bowl weekend overrated in Vegas. This is not the weekend to come here. Rooms are really expensive. It's overcrowded. It's overhyped. It's hard to even get a seat in the books. March Madness is a fine time to come to oh, Las Vegas. I think the first weekend of the tournament is by far the best weekend you can do in Vegas. I, I agree. And if you ever want to come here for like an extended stay, if you want to come out on like Thursday and stay through like Sunday for 10 days, you know, the, the last week of conference tournaments, I find much more profitable and enjoyable than the second week of the March Madness. Once we get down to 16 teams, the madness is gone, and it's no big deal. It's that um, those first weekends specifically, the really, you know, it's the, this is a little controversial. I'm fine with the actually even leaving on Saturday, you know. The, it's really Thursday, Friday. Those first two days. Yep. Those are the days. But who leaves Vegas on Saturday? Exactly. That's weird. Exactly. All right. Uh, the you've got here three ways to gamble. I, is this just a, a, a overreaching any kind of gambling Primer. or sports yeah, betting? Yeah, this is this is for those who don't gamble that much. That don't, I'm not talking sports betting, but just in gambling in general. You come to okay. Vegas with your buddies for March Madness. The best way to gamble, obviously, is to be like completely immersed in one game you're really good at or multiple games poker sports betting blackjack all those games are readily beatable and if you work on your craft you most certainly will win they're really they they i don't want to poo poo it by by calling it something else like gamblers anonymous it's really not gamblers anonymous it's losers anonymous <laughs> the gambling is never a problem there's plenty of people that like cheat away from their families spend way too much time stamp collecting way too much time playing chess playing like video games etc that cripples their family life and causes all kinds of problems all right but it doesn't cause financial problems necessarily or could i guess if you spend too much the problem with gambling is losing not the time necessarily you're spending away with everyone so stop losing i don't and if you're telling me well i work really hard and i lose i don't believe you i simply don't believe you if you if that's the case only play poker only play low limit no limit uh poker games work on your game and you will win if I can teach my wife how to win playing low-limit, no-limit poker when she can barely read the board, you can win. Yes. I, I will say my uh, when I used to come out here as a visitor, I would always win money playing poker. I would always win money betting sports, but I love to play blackjack, and I'm not as good at it as you. So I would lose all my money back playing blackjack. But that that's to me, especially then, it would— I, that was part of the experience for me. That's, so, was... so I'm going to take this to the next level because everything I talked about requires work. So I'm, I don't want you to have to work very hard. Thank you. So you can play blackjack. Just get the $1.99 card that tells you what to do. All right? <laughs> if you, the dealer has a nine. You have a pair of nines. Oh, I'm supposed to split and just follow the card. Make sure blackjack pays three to two, mm-hmm. not six to five. You'll be fine. The house adds about half a percent on average. That means three to two. You're, you're probably playing off strip. If you're if you're getting three to two these days, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's a good point. You know, most off strip places are three to two. Most places on the strip um, are not. But like, even like when you go downtown, you can play single deck El Cortez and get paid three to yep. two. So I mean, it's it's still that's a single deck game that you can find. So you can find it, um, and you may have to play higher than you want to. So you have to off strip. It should be no problem. Um, but um, or just play craps. Craps is like I'm, I'm shocked everyone doesn't play craps. Every $5 you bet on a craps table, it costs you $0.07. Cents. You're at a 1.4% disadvantage. If you take your double odds, which almost every place offers, you're at a 0.6% disadvantage. The amount of um, expertise you need at craps, people say, oh, it's so complicated, it's so difficult. 
It's a little more complicated than tic-tac-toe. It's way easier than checkers. Actually, I'll go as far as to say it's easier than tic-tac-toe. So, right, so, and for those who are intimidated and like, don't be intimidated to go to craps table. Everyone at a craps table has no idea what they're doing. Because if they had any idea, they wouldn't be playing craps. They'd be playing something that's beatable, okay? <laughs> so don't ever be intimidated by, by the gamblers at craps table being good. They're not. They're terrible. Um, walk up, and if you have no idea how to play, just drop $100 on the layout and just say, I want to bet the pass line on the next come-out roll. You want to wait for the come-out roll. That's important. And I want to take my full odds. That's all my two times odds. That's all you need to do. Tell, tell, they, they believe me, the people love novices at the table. They'll, they'll help you. They'll give you all kinds of bad advice. You just say, I might try that later. I won't bet the hard ways. I'm not going to bet the field. Even if I get 12, three times on 12, I just want to bet the pass line and take my odds, drink for free. You'll break even in the long run. You'll lose seven cents every five dollars you bet. Every casino would close if they only had craps tables and people played the way I'm describing. And it's a lot of fun. You don't have to think. You can hang out, look around, make friends. That is the way to recreationally play. That is a good way to get a lot of free drinks, and you can spend a lot of time. I'll, I'll tell you another game. If you're in it for the free drinks, you can sit down at a pie gal table. And break even after like six hours. Like it's it, there's so many just pushes and it, and like, it's a slow game. It is a slow game. So if you're there for free drinks, but you do have to think because you can misset your hands. That's fair. So it requires the instead of requiring the acumen of a first grader. Okay, you have that's to be that's at, you true. You have to be at fifth grade level, which is difficult sometimes with those drinks in you, etc. But you're right, Pagal is. Um, um, and the difference between Pogal and Blackjack is that you get so few, so fewer hands. It's so slow. No action. I, that's what I loved about Blackjack because I'd, I'd play these poker tournaments and I'd be playing for four or five hours and then I'm like, oh, I just need that you fold, 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 fold. Blackjack, you don't fold. It's just every hand, there's action. And you have to think you can make an egregious mistake. That's the problem with video poker. You can, you can mishit the button. And I, <laughs> oh, I just I just folded my jacks. I didn't keep them. <sighs> you know, I mean, that's that, so that's the great advantage of, of craps is there is no no way to mess it up other than a deal or error against you. You know, just to, to, you know, just playing. Um, and and, and if you want, you can play the come. It's the same bet, and you get a little more action on the table. So that that is the way to drive a fun. If you don't want to work at your craft and you, you you can drink more than you lose gambling, and I would absolutely encourage you just to, to play craps. Now, Baccarat, it's the same thing. It's, it looks super complicated. There's no player decisions to be made, so you're just at your disadvantage, but it's like 1.2%. So you can play Baccarat, but Baccarat's pretty fast sometimes, you know, and, uh, unless you've got one of those crazy gamblers that, like, looks his card slowly and then rips it up when it's <laughs> no good. Um, it's kind of fun just to watch the other people sometimes, but um, but your engine is craps. That really is, you know, what, what you should play. And what's the wrong way? Um, the wrong way is to play the ridiculous high hold games, roulettes over 5%, and slots are just... Slots are the worst possible because think how fast you're pushing the button. If they say penny slots, we're playing like 100 permutations. So right. a, a penny slots can be $5 a poll when the house edge is 20%. Well, uh, that's a dollar every time you pull that handle. You can pull that handle 200 times an hour. There's a reason they're sending you free rooms like crazy when you're playing slots. So... Avoid the slots, absolutely. Um, yes, all right, caveat, someone's written books, how to win. Playing slot machines with progressive jackpots, and there are people that do it. You can't do it. It's too difficult. Trust me. 
Um, do get Bob Dancer's book on video poker. Video poker is not slot machines. Video poker is actually beatable, and even if it's not beatable, the house edge is pretty small, especially if you know what the payout should be. And like craps, video poker is excellent if you go to a casino bar, put $20 in the machine, play a hand every time the bartender looks at you, and keep ordering drinks. Pretend to play when he's not looking at you. All right, two more things. One, we got a question from a listener from Carl who says, Fez, if you bet a bad number, like there's a line move due to injury, COVID, et cetera, and you're offered a cash out for a certain fraction of your original bet, should you take it or let it ride? Or are there circumstances where cashing it out is the play, riding with it is the play? Appreciate the time. Love the pod. Uh, the cash outs are almost always ripoffs, so avoid the cash outs. They're going to short pay you mega time. The only exception to the rule, and this does happen sometimes, let's say you're on DraftKings and you lay four in a game and then you're like, and a bad injury report comes out and a lot of the books go to three. Uh, yeah, go to three and a half or three and DraftKings still has a four. Sometimes if they still have the same number, instead of a short pay cash out, they'll let you cancel the bet at no cost. And then it's absolutely the right thing to do when you can just cancel the bet with a full cash out. Yeah, that'd be nice. That, that, it seems to be an East Coast thing. They're not doing that out here. No, it just requires too many algorithms and the like. And yeah. All right, let's talk about. You said that there are. There's no bookmaker or lines maker, I guess, that can win. It would t- tell me what you mean. I can prove it. So, okay. so you have all these lines makers saying, "I love this team or that team or the other team." They don't really believe it, and here's why. Let's say, and and there is. When you look at the screen, it is remarkable how it's identical. Everyone's stealing the same number, except when a line is like two, like two and a quarter, and then half the books have two and half have two and a half. What, what, McKenzie, what was the game this week where Pinnacle was like a point off the rest of the market? Uh, they were on the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah the, they're the Chiefs about two and a half, just under two and a half. Everybody else was at one and a half. That's were, a great point, and you never see that. Okay, so in, in that case, you had a whole bunch of books at one and a half, and Pinnacle was dealing two and a half. Part of that is two is such a dead number in the NFL. Right. Although it could have landed two. <laughs> I guess it could have landed almost anything the way that game kept going back and forth. But um, that was an example where, for whatever reason, Pinnacle loved Kansas City. So they were begging for Buffalo money, you know, plus two and a half, you know, all week long. And they got mm-hmm. lucky. They got away with it. But ultimately, I think the game closed too. But um, that is an example where I would argue Pinnacle, I don't think they got this game right. I know they didn't get this game right, but it shows they had an opinion on the game and they got action. But that's on a totally dead number of a two. You never see that in college basketball where everybody is on, yeah. is a one and a half and then there's a two and a half. So let's think about this. Let's say you were college basketball better and you could hit 53%. Okay. I would take that right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I warned you too after you your, did. after your back to back absolute record years. Yeah, it's it's almost like you don't realize how difficult it can be. Oh, yeah, when you hit fifty eight percent, you got to eat the shit years. sometimes. It's, it's um, and, and there's such a survivor bias because the people that have the horrible year and hit the forty four percent for their first two years, they just disappear. Right. You know, if they, if, if that's what they start. But here's here's my point: if you could hit fifty four percent, and you've got multiple games, you could hit 54%. Let's say everybody is stealing five, and, and you're a bookmaker, and you love the favorite. What do, you do, what do you need to do? Make the game six. Yeah. So now you're like, would you rather have minus five, lay a dollar ten? That's profitable if you're 54%. Or would you rather have minus six plus a dollar ten? Ooh. 
Yeah, that's tough. I think I'd just take the five. I'd lay the six. Okay, you. I, I, yeah, plus a dollar ten. I would sell a half point for ten cents twice. Okay, it's and, close. But what about when the number's like three or four? Like if you're getting, like if you're taking it from outside it, of a possession, it's really close. I'll, I'll, once I go beyond one point, yes, you're right. I would not keep selling for ten cents. I'd okay. need more than ten cents. But the first two half points, I'd, I'd be willing to sell. Well, here's my point: you don't even have to do that because you can go to just you can just deal five and a half. Yeah, and a bunch, and now you're going to build a nice little position because no one's going to lay five and a half. They're all going to take the five and a half, but maybe hardly any people take it. They say, you know, you know what? I'll sweeten it a little more. I'll, I'll go to plus six minus fifteen. I'll go point off market, but I'm going to charge minus fifteen. So I'm essentially betting minus six plus one fifteen. That's a way better bet than yeah. minus five, lay a dollar ten. And you know what? It, this doesn't prove that it isn't out there. But no book does this. No book does this. And it just goes to show, well, maybe magically the top 500 people in the world are all, are, don't work at sports books, all right? And they're just betting for a living and, and betting themselves. Or more than likely, there's probably only seven or eight people really in the world that for any volume, maybe seven or eight is too low. But maybe maybe 10 to 12 that actually can find 54% bets in their own betting. And I know they might, there might be more people because they're working as part of a group that's using their information. That doesn't count. That doesn't count if like a real sharp guy like Bill Crackman bets it because he's told his experts telling him to bet it. Um, I'm just saying the people who can actually determine the numbers are so few and far between to identify bets that are that strong. It can't be that many because if there were more than that, then at least one of them would have stumbled, bumbled their way into a sports book and actually dealt opinions that would um, ultimately result in that sports book absolutely crushing. It's not that sports books in the past haven't tried, but you know what? Everyone that's tried, they just get their asses kicked, and here's why. They, um, they'll deal six on a game when it should be five, and you know what? If, it's, um, if they're right, they'll get... They'll get their action, and, and that's all good. But if they're wrong, they'll just get annihilated with the pros, you know, coming in with max bets against them. And they need to be able to figure out quickly, oh, I didn't get the memo on this game. My team has COVID, and I didn't know about yeah. it or whatever, especially in this day and age with so much information popping. But it is remarkable how all it offends me that all these sports books talk about, like, oh, I know, they, they know someone. They know nothing. They couldn't pick winners. If they could, they wouldn't deal. They wouldn't have to copy every single side and total on the board without even shading when they open up their numbers. How come a how come a uh, sports book hasn't hired you yet? You know, a better question because I'm much more of a better than a handicapper, and I'll say it. And this is this goes out to all these sports books out there. Why the hell haven't you hired pa- Brad Powers? I mean, Brad That's Powers consistently against your openers kicks your ass. He lays two and it closes five and a half. How hard is it to realize that guy could make your book millions, millions per year with his opinion, especially early on in the process? You know, as as you're massaging your numbers, he never is going to make a god awful mistake where he gets a team season win number off by two or gets a um, right. or gets like a BYU Utah State college football game off by ten like other books do that go ahead and originate bread. He would never make one mistake like that. You guys make a mistake like that every year. Further, the sportsbook managers do this all wrong. They got nine jobs. They got to meet with HR. They got to meet with the president, uh, the, uh, the owner of the company. They got, they got so much going on. How in the heck could you possibly be good at setting lines? You have to delegate that. It's like a head coach. A head coach needs a game manager. Yep. 
Brad Powers can be your now. I'm not. I probably would turn you down, but I'm just throwing him and like eight <laughs> other guys would all be uniquely qualified. Sure. That like they they'll tell you immediately that no, this is a complete and utter mistake. You know, when when you're originating the numbers, because I can tell you that's the one thing I notice. Books like Westgate and Circa are pretty darn good, all right? They rarely make mistakes, but, like, Circa would be the first one to tell you, like, when they opened up their draft numbers last year, they just they got crushed because they put up a bunch of bad numbers. And why wouldn't they? I mean, it's, you want to try to handicap the draft and where, um, you know, a third string or a third round or a fifth round quarterback's going to go? I don't. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, it's very, very, very difficult. So, um, but my the bottom line is, until you show me a sports book that's going to deal an off-market number on a bunch of games, I don't believe it, that they have any handicapping acumen whatsoever. And, th- and this is the shocking part. They have privy to the best bettors of the world. Yeah. They get to see what Alan Boston's playing at Open. <laughs> they get to see what A.J. Hoffman is playing. They get to see what Brad Powers is playing. They have information that none of the rest of us have, and they still can't use it properly. It's shocking to me. That is a good point. All right, that will do it for the early week edition. Throwing you off a little, throw you a curveball here. Hope you enjoyed the Fezzik Focus pod. You'll hear Fezzik back here on Wednesday night's Big Dream Preview with RJ and myself. Uh, There will be no Focus pod on Wednesday, so this is it. This is your focus for the week. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and thanks to Fez, thanks to McKenzie, thanks to you guys for listening. Please subscribe to the channel, get all the great podcasts that we're putting out there, and we will talk to you next week.